Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? Is everybody fantastic like Andre always is? Andre's not even paying attention to me. He said, is everybody fantastic like Andre always is? Huh? Somewhat amazing. Okay. So tonight, um, we haven't been together in a while on Wednesday, so um, this is the Emmaus Road study. All right, just a quick refresher. Where where does the idea of the Emmaus Road come from? Where does this? Huh? A road? Yes, correct. You just give me book and chapter in the Bible. Huh? Luke twenty four. Luke twenty four. What happened in the story? Huh? And their hearts were burning. But the reason we're calling this the Emmaus Road Study, because we're going from front to the back of the Bible, every book, looking to see how it points to Christ. Because in that encounter on the Emmaus Road, the, um, the, 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 the men who were walking were talked to by Jesus. And when Jesus met, began ministering to him, it says he started um, with Moses and the prophets and, and brought them all the way to where they were now. So, um, that's, that's where we're at. Tonight's book is Song of Solomon, and I've been laughed at. I've been told that uh, people don't envy me for um, teaching this book. It's not that it's necessarily a hard book. It's just a different kind of book than what we typically see in Scripture. It's a different type of writing. It's, um, it's a little um, suggestive in some places, and we're going we're gonna to talk about some things that are going to require some maturity tonight, okay? Um, next slide, please. So here's your, here's your first slide, okay? Now, the older people in the room probably recognize this. <laughs> the older people in the room probably recognize this. What this is, is this is a parental advisory um, sticker. So... Back when me and Mr. Joe and Mr. Michael and maybe Miss Bethany, she might be a little younger than us, um, but, and Mr. Keith, back when we were kids, you had to actually leave your house and go to a store to buy music, okay? And we had these little things called cassette tapes or CDs. Now, when a cassette tape or a CD had dirty words in it or dirty content, they began putting this on those CDs and cassette tapes so that when you go into the store to buy them, unless you were, I think, 18 years old, you couldn't buy one if it had this. You had to have mom and dad with you, and mom and dad would see this and go, well, what does that mean? It means it's got things in it your kid probably shouldn't hear. Okay? Um, so the, 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 idea, the idea behind that is this is typically the kind of the mindset when we talk about the Song of Solomon, when people talk about the Song of Solomon. This tends to be the attitude, and I'm fixing to say a word, okay guys, I'm fixing to say a word, alright? This tends to be the attitude toward intimacy and sex. Sex, he said it. Okay? So, so we tend to think of sex as a dirty word, okay? And we're not going to talk in depth about sex, so don't get, don't get Nervous and jerky, okay? I would be more nervous and jerky than you are if that's what we were doing here tonight, I promise you. 
But we are going to talk about it a little bit, okay? In, in the biblical context. Um, God has a far different view of love, intimacy, desire, sex, these things that we're going to talk about tonight, than what we have, okay? Far different view, alright? And that's what we're going to talk about. It, and it's shown in this book. So, again, we're all big boys and girls in here. We may hear a word here or there. We're not going to hear a lot of them that you would maybe giggle at. Just try to refrain, okay? Um, Cortland. Cortland. We, we try to keep Cortland busy back there on Wednesday night so that, you know, just for moments like this. Um, so, so you may hear the word sex. You're probably going to hear at least once the word breast. Um, there are going to be some other suggestive language in what we're saying, okay? So, I'm just warning you, this is your parental advisory. This is your explicit content advisory. It's going to happen, okay? And nobody's more uncomfortable about it than this guy. All right? So, next slide, please. So, I like to try to give you all some facts about the book that I'm teaching um, when, when I teach. Um, I'm probably going to get in a little trouble for pointing this out in a second. Uh, it has eight chapters. It has 117 verses. Now, the book of the Song of Solomon is, is a man and a woman speaking to one another, okay? Now, out of these 117 verses, it should be no surprise, no surprise, that 75 of them are her talking. <laughs> 43, are, 43 are the man talking. Um, eight are what we're going to be introduced to in a little while as the others. And one is just an intro verse that we're going to, introduction verse that we're going to get into. Um, likely it was written by Solomon. Um, it is called the Song of Solomon. Um, it is arranged in scenes like a, like a drama. There are three main characters that we're going to talk about in just a second um, that, that are in this, uh, in this book. Um, it's the fifth and final poetry book in the Old Testament. And this is a book in which God is not mentioned right along with another book. Who can tell me what that book was? Casey. Esther. 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 Very good. Esther. So, and we do see, we do see, I, I did find this after I had typed this up. Toward the end, there, the Lord is mentioned, and it is, it is the, the, the euangelion. Did I get that right, Drew? Tetragrammaton. 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 Right, right, okay. Yeah, so I mixed those up. Sorry. Okay. Um, that's, yeah. Okay. All right, so next slide. We're going to be introduced to the characters. The three characters in this story are the bride. And in your Bibles, and I do encourage you to turn to Song of Solomon in your Bibles, in, in, in here you're going to see head, headings over each section of Scripture. You're going to see she... You're going to see he, you're going to see others, okay? She is the bride, he is the groom, and others, in all but one case in this book, refers to a group of, more than likely, of women, and more than likely they were bridesmaids um, at a wedding, okay? And uh, so, so they, were, they were witnesses to the things that were being said between the man and the woman. Um... One there's one incident in the book that refers to others, and it's a group of men, but we'll get, we'll get to that point later. Um, but the reason we believe that these are, are bridesmaids is because the things that this man and this woman are saying to one another 
it would be kind of odd if there were just a random group of people standing over, listening and responding to these things. So the idea is this is more than likely a wedding, and these are the bridesmaids <clears throat> who are all close <clears throat> excuse me, with the bride. Um, let's see. Yeah, so that's why we make the assumption that, that they are um, bridesmaids. Next slide, please. All right, <clears throat> so just a quick summary. Um, somebody turn to Genesis 2, 21 through 25. Genesis 2, 21 through 25. I need somebody to read that for me. Emma. Genesis 2, 20, what did I say? 21 through Okay, <clears throat> so we see here the creation of, uh, of Eve, and we see Adam's reaction. Some of the, some of the, the um, language in this book is kind of like Adam's reaction. Who remembers, Pastor Tim's talked about these, this scripture before. Who remembers what Pastor Tim says when he gets to this point? What Adam is saying when he says, this is at last bone of my bones. Anybody remember? Because he's really loud when he does it. That's what he says. Whoa! Adam's blown away at what he sees. Okay? He sees the beauty of his bride and he's blown away. We see some of that language here. We also see, um, we see a mutual admiration that's similar to what, to, what, uh, to what Adam was saying here. Then we see the institution of the one flesh union that is marriage. Okay? Um, Song of Solomon is a celebration of that union. All right? Um, as we stated before, it's a book about sex and love, but sex and love and desire redeemed, okay? In, the pro in its proper context, not like society defines it, okay? If you guys go and talk to your friends about sex, you're going to get a different type of discussion than what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, more than likely, if you have unbelieving friends. Um, sex in and of itself is not evil, okay? Again, the parental advisory, I did that as kind of a funny, but that's, that's our attitude towards sex a lot of the times. And the reason being because sin has entered um, into, into sex. We, we've tainted that. Um, it's kind of like, I, I, this is probably a poor example, but if you're in Sunday school with us, you're used to poor examples from me. Um, it's kind of like food. God put food here as a good gift. Well, what did we do? We messed it up. We eat too much of it. We eat the wrong things. We, okay, so, so these things are a good gift. Sex is a good gift within the confines of a biblical marriage between a man and a woman, okay? And we're going to see some of that here. All right, so I'm going to read the first chapter of Song of Solomon. And the reason I'm going to do that is just so you can get a grasp on the language, okay? Because this is different 
type of language than what we're, than what we're used to seeing in Scripture. So I'm going to just read the first chapter just so you can kind of get a feel for it, okay? And then as we talk about these things, maybe, maybe some of the things that I say will make a little bit of sense. So starting in verse 1, Song of Solomon, it says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, and this is she, this is her talking, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine, and your anointing and oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. This is the others. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. And this is her again. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. But do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They, they made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell them, you whom my soul loves, where... Tell me, you whom my, whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Now this is him talking. If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with strings of jewels. <clears throat> this is the others. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. This is her again. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet, sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyard of Engedi. And this is him. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. This is her. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. So that kind of gives you an idea of the language, right? That's a little, to us, we would go, that's, that's a little weird, the way they're talking, right? This is poetic. This is poetic talk. This is the way Mr. Joe talks to Miss Bethany, right? Amen, brother. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, so... so this is just kind of an example of what we're, got, what we're getting into, all right? So it's, you know, it's love, poetry, it's all, that's what it's all about here. But there's a bigger picture, and we all know kind of where we're going with this, all right? Um, next slide. So we're going to get into the, to the verses, and um, I'm gonna, I've broken it up into several different groups of verses um, that one of the commentaries I used uh, broke it up into. Um, so Song of Songs... The, very first, the Song of Solomon, the very first verse says, Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. That's where we get that this, these are Sol this is Solomon's song. But we see Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. This one was his greatest. So we see these examples in Scripture. Um, the holiest of holies in Exodus 26.34. What was the holiest of holies? Right. The place of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. Why was it called the holiest of holies? Because it was the holiest place, the most holy place. It's where God's presence was. All right, First Timothy six thirteen speaks of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Both of these scriptures speak of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is 
the greatest king. He's the king of kings. He's the greatest lord. Lord of lords. Okay? So, that's what we see here. Song of songs. Alright? It says it's the song of songs. And these, are just, these other three are just some examples as to why, why it's called the greatest song. Um, these things were the greatest of what they were referring to. This is no different. Um, Alright, next slide. So verses uh, 2 through 6 in chapter 1, we see first the bride's aching love for her lover. Now we just read it, so, so we, you know, we saw the imagery there. Um, she's, she loves him so much that she's aching. In these scriptures, she calls him king. Okay? Now likely, this man was a farmer. Okay? He, was, he wasn't necessarily a king. Um, and she's in awe of him. She fantasizes over him being her king. Then the others show up, and they're here to confirm what she's saying about her, about her groom, about her beloved, as she calls him. <clears throat> the bride then goes on to recognize her dark skin. Now, dark skin at this point in time, refer, it, it typically meant you were of a lower class because you worked out in the fields. You were out in the fields all of the time. So she, she goes into that. She says, you know, she talks about her skin being dark, and then she says, don't gaze at me because I'm dark. Because the sun has looked upon me, and then she goes on to tell why she, why she was in the sun so much. Apparently, her mother's uh, sons, which were her brothers, didn't like her, and so they made her do kind of the dirty work, the slave work of the home. So, um, so that's that section. Uh, next slide. All right, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 through chapter 2, verse 17. We see the bride then looking for her beloved. So this... This groom of hers disappears a few times. Don't know where he's gone to, really. Um, scripture doesn't really say that, say much about that. But he's, but he's, he's away from her. And she doesn't like it, okay? Um, the bride is looking for her, and she asks him where he pastures his flock. Um, and he gives her direction to where she can find him. He tells her there in, there in the Scripture... Um, following the tracks and pasture your, go- your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. And then he goes on to begin uh, complimenting her. Um, it seems like here, one of the commentaries I read, seems like there's a little bit of flirting going on and there's a date coming up and they're kind of, uh, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever been on, have, if any of y'all, well, I know some of you probably have been on your first date already, but um, when you get ready to go on a date, you might talk to him during the day, and you know, oh, I'm so excited about Going out and going to see the movie, or going to the going to dinner, or whatever the case may be. You know, there's some giddiness there. Some, there's some excitement there. So uh, this this woman is likely uh, what's going on here. There's there's a little bit of flirting, and then there's some exchange of compliments filled with language about fragrances, vineyards, flowers, and trees. And she desperately wants to be with him so bad that it hurts her. She has this desire to be with him, um, and. Finally, he shows up. They, 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 they come back together. Um, he draws her near and hugs her, embraces her, and then they're interrupted. And then the bride turns to the bridesmaids, and this is the first of, I think, four times this happens. She turns to this, these bridesmaids, these others, and she says to them um, not, to, uh, not to awaken love until it pre- pleases or until the proper time. Okay? She's telling these women not to have premarital sex, okay? She's warning them not to do that. So in the middle of her own heated passion, in the middle of 
her with her, her man, she warns them not to give themselves over to sexual intimacy until the proper time or until it pleases. Um, so, a.k.a. until they're, until they're, they're married. Um, so, sex is a picture of intimacy, right? It, it is intimacy. Waiting until marriage is a picture of, waiting, of, of our waiting for God. <clears throat> so, apparently the groom leaves again. And, but he's not far away because he's calling to her. All right, That's what the verses, are, verses say. She calls to him to run quickly to her as a gazelle. So he returns, and, he, and his language again is filled with food, animals, vineyards, and flowers. In chapter 2, verse 16, he said, My beloved is mine, and I am his. And this statement of unity is a poetic reflection of Genesis 2.24 where we see it's saying the two become one flesh, okay? So this is indicative of the one flesh union <clears throat> between, a, between a husband and a wife. Next slide. <clears throat> Chapters three, uh, 3 and 4, basically, um, through verse 1 of chapter 5. We see the bride um, is apparently asleep. She wakes from a dream and she wakes up. She gets up and she goes to look for her beloved because he's gone again. Okay, so he's, he's, he's disappeared, he's gone. She goes into the city, there are watchmen there, there are guards, and she asks them, Where, have you seen my beloved? She's, she's going throughout all the city, looking for her beloved, looking for her groom. And she finds him, and she hangs on to him. And then once again in chapter 3, verse 5, she warns the bridesmaids, using the exact same phrase that she used before. Um, about, about premarital sex. So next we see the wedding song, and the bride sees her groom, and she compares him walking in to the grandest army of the grandest king of Israel, Solomon. All right? Then the groom praises, his, praises her beauty. He looks at her, and he goes from head to toe. And he doesn't pick out everything, but he compliments her, her beauty, her entire body, um, from head to toe. Uh, and he concludes at the end that she is beautiful, she's most beautiful, without one single flaw. And at the end of chapter 4, they consummate their marriage. Anybody know what consummate their marriage is? It means they have sex for the first time. Okay? Alright? There it is. We said it again. We're good, right? Everybody good? Everybody with me? They've done this for the first time, as God has designed, correct? <clears throat> The, 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 the language goes like this in verse six, uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat its choicest fruits. This is the bride unlocking her, her garden to her groom. Okay? Now again we go, oh, that's sex. We shouldn't talk about that. This is a beautiful picture. Okay? This is not a bad thing. Alright? So let's... Get that out of our heads. This is not a bad thing. This is a beautiful thing that God has designed. And He's designed it to be carried out this way. <clears throat> Next slide. So after consummation, um, they go to bed, they go to sleep. The bride is still asleep. She wakes up. And her husband has gone out. And he's apparent. And, and this, this, is, this is one of those poetic things. You, it doesn't seem like there's a whole, uh, there's got to be a reason for it. But there doesn't seem to be a ton of 
explanation as to what this means. The husband leaves, and then he's knocking on the door, and he's shaking the door handle. She gets up. She runs to the door because she's crazy about the guy. We've already figured that out, right? She wants to see him. She wants to be with him. She wakes up. He's not there. She goes to the door, and he's not there. So once again, he's disappeared, and she goes looking for him. This time, she goes back into the city, and for whatever reason, there are watchmen and guards there, and this time it says that they bruise her. They, apparently, there's some abuse there. I, I don't know why, um, but uh, that's what happens. She was abused. She was bruised, it says. She, she says there, and um, then she goes to her bridesmaids, and she tells them that he's missing, and the bridesmaids say, maybe he's not all that great if he keeps running off, if he keeps disappearing, okay? And this causes her to break out into song. And she begins complimenting him again and telling them how wonderful he is. The, bridemaid, the bridesmaids then kind of change their tune, and then they become concerned about where he is. They start wanting to help again, okay? So they have kind of a change of heart. They begin to want to help, um... And, and again, she still doesn't know where he is, but she does know that he still loves her, okay? She has that confidence. Now, keep in mind, guys, a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, we're going to come back to it, and we're going to talk about Jesus, okay? So when we're talking about these things, keep that in the back of your mind, all right? Um, so she, um, she, again, she know, he's not there, but she knows he still loves her. She says that he's in the garden, which is a metaphor for where lovers can be intimate. Um, and in 6.3, she repeats, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Um, then, next slide, chapter 6, verses, verse 4 through 7.10, we see the two longest songs in, in this scripture from the husband. Um, praising his beauty for his wife. The two songs bookend a bit of a conflict in the middle. Okay? We've already seen the conflict of the bridesmaids not being so confident in him. We're going to see a different conflict here. Um, and this will, be, this will be where we see the, where you see if, 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 you, if you ever go to read Song of Solomon uh, all the way through, and I encourage it, um, you'll see others, um, well, I'll get into that in a second, sorry. I got ahead of myself. Um, the husband starts out by complimenting her hair, her smile, her cheeks. And he, and he says that she is the only perfect one for him. Then she begins to respond back, and we hear from another group that's also referred to as others in your Scripture, okay, in your, in your Bible. These others are these watchmen and these guards who have abused her earlier on, okay? And they come in, and they begin, um, as she's about to reply to her, to, to her, to her groom's compliments, um, they begin to come in and they want, them, they want her to return to them and they say, so that we may look upon you, okay? So they had ill intent. She was going to her beloved. She's married to him. She's his, he's hers. And they're like, no, come over here with us, okay? So they're trying to get her away from him. They're trying to keep her away from him. Um, and, and then the husband comes to her defense. And then we see the second song and where he compliments her again, and I thought it was really interesting that um, earlier on in, in Song of Solomon, when he was complimenting her, he complimented her from her head to her feet. This time he started at her feet and went to her head, 
and complimented almost, uh, almost exactly what he had said before. But he adds to this song more than just compliments about her beauty. He adds to this song his desire to be with her, his desire for her. Um, and then the bride, responds to, uh, the, the bride responds to this by saying, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Now, debated on throwing this in there, but in Genesis, we see in, in the fall, after all that kind of happens, uh, we see, we see the, the wife's desire is going to be for the husband, right? And it's interesting, uh, the, comp- the, the commentary that I used said here, it's interesting that here his desire is for her. Now, different desire, there's two different things going on here. This is positive desire, that was negative desire. So I just wanted to throw that in there. I actually took it out of my notes, but I talked to Pastor Tim about it, and you know, we, I decided to throw it back in there. So um, anyway, um, next slide. This is, this is kind of how the song ends. Um, we see uh, 7-11 through the end of the book. Um, uncontainable desire swelling through the end of the Song of Songs. Once again, we see the, the bride's physical desire. Um, we see that culture frustrates this desire. And she's sad because culture wouldn't allow, uh, uh, apparently at this point in time, a man and, 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 a, wa- and a woman to have, um, we used to call it PDA when we were in school. You'd get in trouble if you held your girlfriend's hand walking down the hall in school or public display of affection. So in public you couldn't hug or you couldn't have a kiss on the cheek. Apparently that was frowned upon in this time. Um, so, so this frustrates her that she, can't, that she can't be affectionate. She can't display her affection to her beloved in, in such a way. Um, it's not even acceptable to kiss him as she would a brother. Um, in 8.4, she once again r- reminds, or warns the br- bridesmaids against premarital sex. Every one of these seem to be kind of random. Every time she brings this up to them. It seems random, you know, just out of nowhere that she, um, that she brings up this premarital sex. But it's important because she said it four different times in these scriptures, okay? It's very important. Um, and these are apparently good friends of hers. This is going to sound familiar. Get friends that will tell you the truth, okay? Get friends that are going to encourage you to do the things of the Lord. You don't need friends who are not going to do that, okay? And that's just my little rabbit trail out of this. But she was apparently a good friend to him because she told him four times to, to, to not do this, okay? Um, <clears throat> then she becomes weak under the weight of her desire, leaning on her beloved for support. She then cries out to her beloved. She asks him to, to set his seal on her heart and arm and claim her as his own. Now, we've seen seals in Revelation, right? Okay, so, so that's some imagery here. Um, the heat of her jealousy for her husband's love is like the burning fire of jealousy God himself feels towards his people. Like God's love, the, be, the love being celebrated here has no rival. And the book closes with the bride crying out for her beloved to return. So apparently he's gone again. And we see here, um, we see unfulfilled desire in this woman to close out the book. Okay? So, the next slide is the last slide we have, but we're certainly not done. Because our goal is to say, well, where is the gospel? Where is Jesus in all of this. Alright, so I'm going to kind of follow the pattern that I just followed, certain groups of Scripture, and we're going to talk about Christ in these, in these verses, okay? 
So in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 1, we're challenged to think about the link between God's presence and sexual desire and intimacy. 1 Corinthians 6.13 tells us that our bodies are not made for sexual immorality, but for God. Okay? This points to our greatest satisfaction. Sexual intimacy is wonderful in the confines of biblical marriage. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. I've said that. It's a beautiful thing. It pales in comparison to the presence of God. The satisfaction, just like any other satisfaction that we find here on earth, is temporary. The satisfaction of Christ is not. This satisfaction, the presence of God, the satisfaction of the presence of God is not mediated by a physical sexual encounter. God's presence eclipses it. God's presence is better than that. And what's so cool about this is this is one of the greatest earthly gifts that we've been given. Marriage, intimacy, desire, sexual intimacy is one of the greatest gifts, that, earthly gifts that we've been given. That's the comparison here. But there is no comparison. Be sure of that. But that's the imagery we're getting here. Um, much like the glory of the king would eclipse that of a farmer. Remember, she called him king. He was not a king. She called him king, okay? But she, through her eyes, she saw him as a king. She saw him as higher than just a regular old person um, because she loved him so much, right? Um, and remember, uh, I'm sorry, I already said that. In Matthew 9, 5, Jesus calls us his bride and him our groom. Y'all know that? Everybody know that? We're, we are the bride of Christ, okay? Um, he is the groom who is also king. He's the husband who is also God. <clears throat> the next group of Scripture that we talked about, um, chapter 1, verse 7 through 217, <clears throat> we have been separated from God. So we see a lot of separation here, okay? Because of the fall in Genesis 3, we're, we've been separated from God. We all talked about that Sunday school, all those kinds of things. We long and we wait for Him as believers. I'm going to go to Romans 8. Romans 8 is always a good place to go. Um, I'm going to go to Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. All right. 18 through 25 of Romans 8. <clears throat> and it starts here. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing and re the revealing <clears throat> of the sons of God. <clears throat> For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption <clears throat> and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly <clears throat> as we wait eagerly for, the adoption, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are set, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we wait for the return of Christ. We long for that returning of Christ. 
okay? The earth groans along with us. We were created for intimacy with God, and this separ separation that we see is painful, okay? <clears throat> That's evidence by sin, okay? Sin has made this separation, and it's made it even more painful. The world's desires are temporary. Sexual desires are temporary. Our true desires will not be met by anyone other than Christ. The good news is Christ is going to come back. Revelation 21.3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. The next verses of Scripture is 3 through, four, uh, three through the end of 4. <clears throat> says, we see the bride searching for her beloved again. And Jesus says something similar to His disciples regarding His ascension in John 7.34. He says, you will look for Me, but you will not find Me. Okay? And He goes on to tell them where He's going. <clears throat> the bride searched for her groom, and she was sad because she could not find Him. We're like this. We're, we're similar to this. But we have something that she didn't have, that the, that the groom could not um, give her. <clears throat> we were given the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 talks about a helper that is left for the disciples and for us. <clears throat> when He returns, it'll be like a wedding day. We're going to be the groom, and he, and, we, and he will be the groom, sorry, and we will be the bride, um, <clears throat> and He will find no flaw in us. We will be dressed in the beauty and goodness of Jesus Himself, who bought our spotless attire through His death on the cross. Everybody get that? We talk about God seeing Christ's righteousness rather than us, okay? I think I've used this before. We, here's you, and here's you covered in Christ's righteousness. This is what God sees. This is what we are, but covered in Christ's righteousness, we're made perfect, okay? And that's what we're talking about here. <clears throat> so when He comes back, that's what's going to be seen. We will be that flawless um, bride for Christ, our groom. 5, 2 through 6, 3. After they've consummated the marriage, remember what consummation is, the groom disappears and the bride is now upset. Her heart fails and her doubts begin to win her over. <clears throat> Even her friends begin to question the, her husband. <clears throat> Isn't the Christian life like that? We hit a rough patch and what happens? Our faith begins to weaken. Um, we begin to take our eyes off of Christ. Um, we begin to think that God is far away. Anybody ever felt like God was far away from you? Y'all ever felt that before? I have. You feel like God is far away. And you, you, know, you doubt. You begin to doubt. Your faith is weak. And you may even have friends who are not believers. Again, have good friends. But what do they say? Well, a lot of good that God's doing you. Dad's got cancer. Mom's got Alzheimer's. Whatever's happening and you're sad about it. And their answer may be, how good is this God? Remember the bridesmaids. How good is your husband if he's left you? How good is your God if he's allowing these bad things to happen to you? For the believer, we know uh, that God's love is not circumstantial. Right? We, we understand that those times, he's not, uh, God's not untrustworthy. He's not without compassion for what we're going through. Jesus loves us more than any spouse, friend, or family member. 
<clears throat> Staying in Romans, chapter 5, um, verses 7 through 8. Romans 5, 7 through 8. If I can get my pages to come apart. Um, it says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? So, the idea here is that one would scarcely die for another person, let alone their enemy, okay? We sing a song in church, we sang it this past Sunday called Jesus Thank You. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. We, we, we are enemies of God apart from Christ, apart from grace, apart from salvation. We're enemies, okay? We're not just carnal Christians, we're not just carnal people. We're not just on the fence. There is no on the fence. You either are or you are not. Okay? Make sure that's clear. You either are or you aren't. Okay? So, again, God sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus got on the cross and died that horrible death that we all have heard of and talked about and learned about for His enemies, for people who were enemies to Him. Okay? <clears throat> just as the bride repeated her wedding vows, we can repeat... We can repeat Jesus' promise to us from Matthew 2.20. Remember what she was saying. She was still saying, He loves me. I am my beloved. My beloved is mine. And in Matthew 28.20, Jesus says, I, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay? So we can have that confidence. We can have that faith that she has in her husband. Because we have a greater husband than she has. We have a greater groom than she has. And that's Christ. Okay? Um, the next set of scriptures, 6, 4 through 7, 10. Like the bride, many things attempt to draw our attention. Remember the others that were in the city that were telling her, hey, come with us. Now these were the guys that apparently abused her, but they were telling her, hey, come with us that we may look upon you. Come, get away from him. He's no good. Come with us. And we see that in our own lives. We talk about it all the time. Um, we are tempted to leave God's love and return to previous ways. To, be, to, to attempt to become that enemy again. We, we can get sucked into that. Um, think about this. <clears throat> Revelation 19. Again, we've already said this once, but I want you all to really think about it. The king, and when I say it this way, the king of the whole earth calls us his bride. In Revelation 19. The king of the whole earth. So, all of y'all, when I say, who's your favorite celebrity, there's a, name, there's a name that pops into your mind. Your favorite celebrity, maybe an athlete, maybe a movie star. If you think about it hard enough, something comes to your mind, right? Imagine if that person called you a friend, and you had their phone number, and you could text them, and you could talk to them, and it's a very famous person. If it was Andre, it'd be Giannis... Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo. Okay, that's who it would be maybe for Andre. This is so much bigger, guys. This is so much bigger. Okay? Because if Andre got a text from Giannis, I'm just going to say Giannis. If he got a text from Giannis, man, that would be crazy, right? I got a text from Giannis. He's my favorite athlete of all time. It would be crazy. This is the person who created everything. Calling us His bride. The King of everything calling us His bride. <clears throat> like the bride in this song, 
There are going to be those who attempt to take our focus off of Christ and we have to see that Christ is better than anything, anything else that can take up our minds and our attention. We see the song end with a lack of fulfillment. And we are led throughout the entire song um, seeing a desire for a husband, a desire for a wife from two people. Um, And we are led throughout the song to desire God, especially as He is revealed in our heavenly husband, Jesus. At our end, we won't lack fulfillment. Our fulfillment comes from Jesus, our groom, the greater groom. And I'm going to share with you um, something that I found while I was studying from a guy named Harry Reeder. He's a Presbyterian pastor here in the Birmingham area at Briarwood Presbyterian, really big church out off of Acton Road. And this is a story that he shared. Um, and I'm going to read it verbatim, so it's not my, these aren't my words. <clears throat> but it says, um, In 1859, the great Presbyterian preacher Henley Thornwell had the opportunity to announce the wedding of his daughter Nancy. In the weeks leading up to this event, the hundreds traveling would end up at a funeral, not a wedding, as she took ill from cholera typhoid and began a rapid demise. Thornwell, overcome, came to his daughter's bedside in her waning moments and said, Oh, my dear daughter, such a tragedy. And she replied, Father, do not weep. I know... I know my Savior. He said, but this was going to be your wedding day. Your whole life was before you. And she, even though she was young, with great maturity said, Father, I I now go to a greater groom that I am prepared to meet. Nancy Witherspoon Thornwell was laid to rest in a wedding gown and the tombstone reads, as a bride prepared for her groom. Okay? So guys... I hope that you've seen Christ through the book of Song of Solomon. I hope that you kind of, maybe even just in a small sense, that you have, I don't know, changed your outlook on intimacy and the word sex and all of the negative connotations that come with this. The parental advisory sticker. Maybe it's no longer in your mind when you hear the word because you know that that it's beautiful. And I want to encourage you, just like the bride encouraged her bridesmaids, sexual intimacy is meant for marriage between a man and a woman. That's it. There aren't exceptions to that. Every, every reference in Scripture is that. Okay? Alright, we're going to pray. <clears throat> Dear God, um, just thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that He is our greater husband, that He is our greater groom. Um, Father, that, that, that You love us, that You sent Him for us, that as the Scriptures say that we read tonight, though we were enemies, You sent Christ to die for us. Um, God, I pray that um, though the messenger is very flawed, that these students and adults in here tonight... Um, know that your word is not, and they know that you are not, that you are perfect. Um, I pray, Lord, that um, there would be understanding, that there would be clarity from the words spoken here tonight, from your word. I pray that this would um, encourage these students, 
to wait until they're married to have sex, um, if we're just putting it bluntly. Um, I just pray for them that you would give them the boldness. Um, and Lord, if they haven't done that, I pray that you would lead them to repentance. Um, much like the repentance that many of the adults in here may need for the same exact thing. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.